OK. All right. Um, apparently, the heat's still not working in here, so everybody can stay bundled up. I've got a jacket if anybody needs it, you know. Um, but I'll tend to get warm up here, so leaving mine off. All right. Well, um, we're about to start a new adventure into the book of Ecclesiastes. Um, I have never thought about teaching through the book of Ecclesiastes before, and I was trying to think of, okay, what's, I, I knew my turn was coming, so I was trying to think of what am I going to teach, what am I going to teach, and um, I don't know, one day I was talking to Heather about it, and she was like, have you thought about Ecclesiastes, and I don't know where she thought, why she thought about it, I was like, no, never have, so started looking at it, I was like, well, all right. So anyway, we're going to kind of get started into that. We probably won't actually crack the book of Ecclesiastes today. We're just going to kind of talk about a lot of preliminary stuff. So with that said, let me pray, and we'll get going. Father God, we thank you for this day. I thank you for, once again, the opportunity to um, teach your word, to be involved in you teaching. Uh, thank you that you have allowed uh, me and allowed Kelly and Charlie and all the ones who uh, teach to be involved in what you do. This is your work. This is your uh, teaching by your spirit. So we just ask that as we uh, look into your word, as we talk about um, your word, as we talk about Solomon who wrote the book, um, just pray that you would uh, be teaching us, leading us, guiding us. And uh, we thank you for this time. I thank you for each one here. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Um, so I don't usually spend a lot of time on the kind of the preliminary. Um, I know if you read, if you go to commentaries, in the first part of most commentaries, it's all this, you know, who's the author? And they go into all the stuff about why this is the author, even though the liberal people say it's not, and blah, blah, blah. And I don't, I'm like, that's dumb. Uh, so I don't, I don't spend much time. Um, interestingly, uh, Ecclesiastes is pretty obviously... Uh, written by Solomon, but it never says, he never says his name. He says the preacher, he says that he's the king and things like that. So everybody knows it's Solomon, except for those who want to deny it because they're just that way. Um, so we're going to talk quite a bit about Solomon this morning. Um, there's much to be known about him. We'll talk a little bit about the setting, the time, the place, the audience who is being written to, uh, and, of course, the purpose, why was it written? Uh, why did Solomon feel compelled to write this? Um, and then um, I would just encourage you, as uh, I would ask for your prayers as we, as we start this and as we go through this book, because this is a really different book for me than what I've ever taught through or, or really studied through. So I would just please be asking you to be praying for me that I would know how to prepare, that we can see what God wants us to, to learn through this. So, um, first of all, like I said, his name is never mentioned, but there's a lot of evidence that it, that it is Solomon who wrote this. Um, he refers to himself as the preacher. So, I just want to ask this question. What words, thoughts, images pop into your mind when I mention Solomon? <laughs> it's kind of like the first thing that pops into a lot of men's minds, it seems like. And probably women, too. Like, what? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, clearly. 
is perfectly sufficient. Perfectly sufficient, I think, is what you're... Yeah. Right. Yeah. Son of David, but didn't really follow um, much of what David did or who he was. Okay. You want to elaborate on he played the fool? Right. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, he he, and we'll see some of that. He 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 brought him to this pinnacle of what Israel, you know, could be. It was, it was kind of the center of the world almost. It seems like, at least from from the descriptions, um, and yet he brought them very low as well. What else? What do you? What else do you think of Solomon? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Anything else? Yep. Mm-hmm. Right, right, right. Well, it's interesting because you see that in David's life too, really. That there was a lot of humility, and then pride, I think, is what caused the fall with Bathsheba. Pride kept him at home, and then pride, I can have whatever I want. Um, so there's something there maybe about youth versus age. Um, what's that? Yep. He was the one who built the temple, amazing, beautiful temple. And God said, I'm not letting David do that because he's been a man of blood. He's been a man of bloodshed. Um, and so I'm going to have Solomon do that. Anything else? Yeah. Yeah, we think a lot about, you know, it's, it's kind of the first thing oftentimes we think of as far as what he wrote. You don't usually jump to Ecclesiastes. You, sometimes you may think Song of Solomon because that's just so different. But usually Proverbs is the first thing we think of. Anything else? I think it was Mm-hmm. Right, right. Well, even God even says, and we'll read it, you know, I'm mad at you for what you've done. You've turned away from me. And I'm going to tear the kingdom out of your hand. But because of your father, David, I'm not going to do it until after you've passed but it will not remain in your hands, the whole thing. Um, but because of David, I'm going to keep part of it. So, yeah. What's that? Yeah. Anything else? All right, let's... Um, so I was just thinking about um, everything y'all talked about were things I had talked about and more, which is why I always ask, because it's fun to hear what everybody else initially thinks of. Um, you know, really, when you think about someone who wrote something in the Bible, we know probably more about him than just about anybody. David, you know, but you think about how much we know about Solomon's parents. We know a lot about them. 
you know, Paul, you go, we know some of his history. We know he's a Pharisee and things like that. We, you don't know any of his lineage other than he may at some point say, I'm a son of whoever, but that's about all you know. Um, so as far as writers of the Bible, we, we really know a lot about Solomon. Um, he was a son of David um, by Bathsheba, who we know a fair amount about. Um, he was one of many sons, right? He had a lot of half-brothers. And um, I was talking to Heather going, I don't remember that he had, that whether Bathsheba had any other children. And, and she did. There were three other sons mentioned that Bathsheba had as well. Um, other interesting thing about Solomon, he's not the oldest, but he is the one who took the throne, which was unusual, you know, wasn't common. But he was chosen by God to be the king. So um, going to talk about his early years a little bit. What do you think it would have been like to be the son of David and Bathsheba? There's a little bit of history there, right? Wouldn't have all just been easy. You're the king's son, so there's certain, obviously, privilege and prestige that comes with being the son of the king, but the history isn't all that great. Um, he's the son of king, one of David's younger sons. He would have learned the history of his mother's first husband, Uriah, and how his father had murdered him. That would be interesting. Um, he would have heard the stories of Amnon and Tamar and how Absalom avenged, Absalom, Absalom avenged his sister and what David did and did not do about those things, right? Uh, he was likely a youth when Absalom tried to take over the kingdom. He would have been with his father David when David's getting chased out of, his, out of Jerusalem by Absalom. He would have been, he and Bathsheba would have been dragged along in this group of people that are having to escape. He would have lived through that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We don't know exactly how old he was. I'm guessing he was probably a youth at that point, but I don't, I'm not sure exactly. Um, he would have seen the good and the bad of David like we all do with our fathers, right? There would have been some amazing stories about David, good and bad, some, some pretty amazing stuff. So you think about what would it be like growing up the son of David, the giant killer, the storied leader of the guerrilla warriors, the man who would not kill Saul even though he knew God had chosen him to replace Saul. The prophet, the musician, the adulterer, the murderer, the man after God's own heart. And you're supposed to rule in his place when he's gone. It's a heavy weight, it seems like. So what do you think it might have been like to grow up in that shadow? Any thoughts? Yeah. Yeah. Enormous amounts of, of wealth 
says that uh, at one point, I think we'll read it, is uh, talks about that silver was thought of as nothing. Silver had no value because there was so much gold and so much wealth in Israel at the time. Um, it talked, yeah, David started, you know, accumulating it primarily for the temple. But they were, it talks about bringing ships from Ophir, I think it is, Ophir, Ophir, whatever. So, so there were, um, whether it was treaties and we're going to send you this, you know, there's, there's a lot about Solomon. Uh, doesn't talk, I don't remember it talking as much about David doing it, but, but certainly Solomon um, making kind of these, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna send to to King Hiram, I think it was, um, these things that we have, and he's gonna send this. So there's a lot of trading going back and forth. But yeah, they were accumulating gold, and, and I mean Solomon was like, well, we're gonna make a bunch of shields out of gold and stick them in this house over here, and you know, it was just there was yeah, the wealth was just unimaginable. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah, and it, it just again, we'll we'll read some of what you know was coming in and what was expected and what it took to to kind of keep things going, but it's crazy how much how much wealth there was. Any other thoughts about growing up in the shadow of David? I don't know. That's a good question. No. I don't know that. Okay. Yeah. It wouldn't surprise you if you if it, if she weren't because of the lineage of Christ. You know, she's part of it. The, there are definitely Gentile and specifically Gentile women um, involved in that. But right. Right. Yeah. So, Interesting. Yeah, that sounds like the Ephesian believers that Right, right. And we're going to talk about that some more in a little bit and what, what of the kings did do that. He, didn't, he wasn't trained for war. Either. Right, right. He was not trained for war. Yeah. And you really don't, you know, you hear him sending, th- you know, sending. There was one of the things um, that we'll get to is, is there was a lot of peace during his, during his time. You'll hear about, you know, him having somebody killed or him, you know, dealing with some things like that. But 
but there wasn't the massive wars and constant um, turmoil of, of wars that was going on when David, when David was, uh, was king. Um, all right, so let's talk a little bit about his mom. So Bathsheba, taken by David when she was married, and her husband was away fighting David's war. Then her husband is murdered by her new lover, who quickly becomes her new husband. The baby she conceives dies because of God's displeasure with the actions of her new husband. Then she gives birth to Solomon, three other children. There's also the odd story where Adonijah, so Solomon's older half-brother, who has a very strong claim to the throne, asks her to ask Solomon, after Solomon's been named king, if he can marry David's concubine, Abishag. And Bathsheba goes, okay, yeah. She goes and asks him, and he was like, do you want to just give him the kingdom too? And he actually sends and has uh, Adonijah killed because he recognizes he's a, a threat. But, at, but it was like Bathsheba didn't catch on to that at all. Um, she's like, sure, I'll ask, you know, I'll ask if, if, if you can marry the, you know, David's concubine. It's kind of an obvious, you know, that's a power move right there. Um, but, you know, you think about what would it be like to grow up with Bathsheba as your mom with all she's been through, you know? It's, it's an, what's that? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's this interesting weave of all these different pieces that, that kind of make Solomon who he is. Um, I'm trying to kind of build this, you know, you think about Solomon. Well, he wrote that he was rich and he was wise and he had a lot of wives and concubines and he wrote, you know. But there's a lot that goes into making Solomon who he was. Um, so then, of course, there's all the, the drama with his crazy half-siblings um, his half-brother sleeping with his half-sister, then hating her. Then her full brother kills the offending half-brother, but has to run away for fear of being killed himself. But dad misses him, so he has him brought back, but then eventually he tries to take over the kingdom and get killed. You know, you could make a heck of a miniseries out of this. I'm just saying it, it would sell, right? Because there's just all this intrigue and drama and craziness going on and, you know, this is what Solomon grew up in, you know. What's that? With, with again, all the wealth and privilege, you assume. And, and, and I hate to, I realize we've got to be a little bit careful with that because we tend to think of, you know, growing up the son of the king. Well, the, the, the um, monarchy in, in Israel is only two generations or two um, kings old. So it's not maybe like, England or, you know, some of these places where it's been around a long time and there's all this, you know, pomp and circumstance, it's fairly new to Israel. And so it's maybe not quite the same as, you know, yeah, I'm growing up in this 500-year-old castle and, you know, the assumption is that David was not living in anything grand. Solomon's the one who built a grand house. Um, so it's, it's but, but clearly he was son of the Son of the king, one of many. Um, so anyway, he grew up around a lot of drama, a whole lot of drama. Kevin, were you? A couple other interesting things. He was Solomon's anointed priest. Right. And he was given 
Right. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Um, so, yeah, how could he be anything like normal, whatever that is supposed to look like anyway? But any other thoughts before we move on, kind of talking about, from talking about Solomon's upbringing? Yeah. Like the rest of us, just different dysfunction than probably most of us have dealt with. Hopefully. Yeah, why him? Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for the rest of us. Yeah. Right. Yes. Right. Yeah, he doesn't seem to be seeking the, the throne. Once, once he knows he's supposed to have it, you know, it's like when Adonijah is trying to, you know, work this whole thing, he's like, no, he's got to be killed because he's a threat. But it's not like he's going, you see these other brothers going, how do I get to the throne? How do I make sure I've got my place? How do I make sure I've got the power? Solomon doesn't seem to be doing that. He's like, yes, this is where God has me. This is where David, you know, David chose me, God chose me, um, and so I'm supposed to be here. But it's not like he's fighting for it the same way um, his other brothers are. That's a good point. All right. Yeah, Porter? Sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Um, so then... He does become king, and God tells him to ask for anything. Ask for anything. Wow. That's like Aladdin and the lamp, only it's God, you know. Um, it's like, you know, if you can imagine winning the biggest lotto or lottery, whatever, doesn't even compare. God's asking you, what do you want? I own it all. I can give you anything. What do you want? And I think, again, this goes back to your point that he is not seeking, and God says this, you're not, you know, you don't seek the lives of your enemies. Let's go to 1 Kings chapter 3, um, starting in verse 3. Actually, uh, starting in verse 5, sorry. 1 Kings 3, 5, 3, 5. In Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream at night, and God said, Ask what you wish me to give you. Then Solomon said, You have shown great loving kindness to your servant David, my father, according as he walked before you in truth and righteousness and uprightness of heart toward you. And you have reserved for him this great loving kindness that you would that you have given him a son to sit on his throne, as it is this day. Now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David. Yet I am but a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. 
Your servant is in the midst of your people, which you have chosen, a great people who are too many to be numbered or counted. So give your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, to discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? It was pleasing in the sight of the Lord that, that Solomon had asked this thing. God said to him, because you have asked this thing and have not asked for yourself long life, nor have asked riches for yourself, nor have you asked for the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself discernment to understand justice. Behold, I have done according to your words. Behold, I have given you a wise and discerning heart so that there has been no one like you before, before you, nor shall one like you arise after you. I have also given you what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that there will, be, there will not be any among the kings like you all your days. If you walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and commandments as your father David did, as your father David walked, then I will prolong your days. Yes, sir. Yes. Right, right. Well, you would have to have some wisdom to ask for greater wisdom. Yeah. You, you, and humility. Yep. Um, and that, isn't that true that the more you learn, the more you learn how much you don't know? You know? It's easy to think, and, and, and you see this, see it with little kids all the time, you know? They're like, they think they know a lot, you know? But as you learn more and more and more, you realize there's not that much that I really know. I really don't know much. Um. <laughs> I think that was a compliment. <laughs> so he does the right thing. You know, I mean, what would, what would we ask for? What would you ask for if God said, I'll give you anything? Sometimes we pray for wisdom, but we know better. Eventually you learn. You're like, I... Can I pray for, don't ask for patience, don't ask for wisdom, because those things usually come by hard knocks, right? Um, but, you know, what would we tend to ask for? What do our hearts tend to dwell on, the things that we think we want or need? Not always wisdom. Yeah. <laughs> Just for the aches and pains to go away, right? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. No, I was, I was talking about, yeah, yeah, if he were Porter's age, he might be praying just to make the aches and pains go away, you know. <laughs> if, if I could wake up in the morning and, like, feel like I was 20, that, that'd be a lot. <laughs> All right, anybody else want to admit what they would ask for? All right. Um, so in the Old Testament, we talk a lot about Israel's history and good and bad kings. Would you call Solomon a good king? Okay. Okay. Because? Yeah. Yeah, they talk about the fact that they they cut out cut all these stones off site so that there wouldn't be the sound of hammers and chisels and things in the temple or at the temple site. That's 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, he, his, his way of, of um, I can't think of the right word, but, but the way that he would bring things and make kind of deals with people, and I'll, I'll send this over here, and you send me this. And, um, and, of course, with the kind of wealth that he had, it wouldn't have been hard to make deals for lots of things. Um, yeah. than there ever was in all of Israel's history. Yeah, at le- yeah, at least with kings. Um, yeah, really, yeah, pretty much any time. Um, so, anybody want to argue that he wasn't a good king? Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't think that you can simply say he was a good or a bad king. It was a trick question. Um, yeah, he did some amazing things, but he really failed them in being an example of following the Lord. Kevin? Yeah, I think this king used the stupid test really Yeah. Right. You know, he, he accomplished. Yes. And I think that you can't accomplish uh, with uh, God. Yeah. You know? I think compromise is probably a great word to kind of describe what Solomon did and why, why the, the failure part of his, of his kingdom, the failure part of, of being a king and the leader of Israel was compromise. Right. Yeah. Compromise and that's the root of where the problems came. I think a lot of people look at the morality issues and mm-hmm. having the number of wives that he had, but I think that I think that part of that certainly was formalism. Right. Absolutely. And it was and it was a compromise with those other with those other places that God had called originally to destroy those places, not to make compromise. Right. Well, it's interesting. Just as you're talking, I'm thinking about. Can you imagine being a young man in Israel? You know, 20 year old young man in Israel and looking for a bride, and the king has 700 wives and 300 concubines. Had to make things a little rough for you know. Um, he's obviously taking quite a few women off the market for some of these young men. You know, maybe not the best way to motivate people. Israel. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. He let his heart be led astray by his foreign wives. Yeah, and I think, I think 
one of the things I've realized with David is I think David, what you see with David is David was a sinner. He knew he was a sinner, but he knew where to take his sin. He knew what to do with it. He knew God was gracious and forgiving and would, would forgive him. Um, and, and so I think that's, to me, I think that's why David's called a, a man after God, God's own heart. Yeah, I think so. Uh, wait, wait, which book? Ecclesiastes or? Um, yeah, maybe. What's that? Probably as he was older, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think... I think, I think Solomon's focus is very worldly. It's very focused on the world. And, and how do you, um, you know, what does it look like to find contentment in the world and things like that is kind of what his, his focus seems to be. And, you know, so he's going to say, well, you know, find, find contentment in your work, things like that. So one of the things we're going to contrast, um, and I'm not going to get through all of my notes today, but basically... As, as Kelly was finishing up Luke chapter 8 last week, I just thought about, he was talking about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Christ, Christ as our king. What does that look like? And so I really want to, as we're studying through Ecclesiastes, bring us back to, here is Solomon, the king, focused on worldly, how do you, you know, get through this life, um, and how Jesus is our king. His focus is heavenly, and our focus should be similar to that. So um, that's kind of, let me read through a few um, of these verses I wanted to just, because um, we haven't been in the word much this morning. First Kings chapter 4, this is a, is a I'm going to read quite a bit here. This is a good description of the good things that, that Israel enjoyed under Solomon. So starting in verse 20 of chapter 4, Judah and Israel were as numerous as the sand that is on the seashore in abundance. They were eating and drinking and rejoicing. Now Solomon ruled over all the kingdoms from the river to the land of the Philistines and to the border of Egypt. They brought tribute and served Solomon all the days of his life. Solomon's provision for one day was 30 cores of fine flour and 60 cores of meal, 10 fat oxen, 20 pasture-fed oxen, 100 sheep, besides deer, gazelles, roebucks, and fattened fowl. For he had dominion over everything west of the river, from, Tif to, from Tifsa even to Gaza, over all the kings west of the river. And he had peace on all sides around about him. So Judah and Israel lived in safety, every man under his vine and his fig tree, from Dan even to Beersheba, all the days of Solomon. Solomon had 40,000 stalls of horses, which actually is probably 4,000. It was probably just somebody added a zero because um, in Chronicles you'll find 4,000. Um, Solomon had 4,000 stalls of horses for his chariots and 12,000 horsemen. Those deputies provided for the king, uh, for King Solomon and all who came to, the king's, to King Solomon's table each in his month. They left nothing lacking. They also brought barley and straw for the horses and swift steeds to the place where it should be, each according to his charge. Now God gave Solomon wisdom and very great discernment and breadth of mind like the sand that is on the seashore. 
Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the sons of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt. For he was wiser than all men, than Ethan the Ezrahite, Heman, Calcol, and Dardra, the sons of Mahal. You've heard of all those guys. Um, and his fame was known in all the surrounding nations. He also spoke 3,000 proverbs, and his songs were 1,005. He spoke of trees from the cedar that is in Lebanon, even to the hyssop that grows on the wall. He spoke also of animals and birds and creeping things and fish. Men came from all peoples to hear the wisdom of Solomon from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom. So he did some amazing things, some of which, as was pointed out, he wasn't supposed to do. Things like multiplying horses and multiplying wives and, and things like that. Um, he, he did know better. He should have known better. I don't know that he did or not. Um, I'm going to read from 1 Kings chapter 12. I think this is where I was wanting to be again. I'm kind of skipping around now. Um, well, this was just talking about, you know, he, he put a heavy hand on Israel um, to force them to labor. And these are when, when Rehoboam, his son, starts, the people say, your father made our yoke hard, now therefore lighten the hard service of your father and his heavy yoke which he put on us, and we will serve you. Um, so, but the one I really wanted, First uh, Kings, sorry, Second Kings chapter 22, the question is, did he really um, know the law like he should have? And I'm not sure that he did because um, for, uh, 2 Kings 22, starting in verse 8, this is Josiah, probably, in my, I would argue, the best king that Israel had um, as far as turning to the Lord and turning people to the Lord. So then Hilkiah the high priest said to Shaphan the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. The fact that he found it makes it think nobody's been looking for it, up until this point at least. Um, and Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan, who read it. Shaphan the scribe came to the king and brought back word to the king and said, Your servants have emptied out the money that was found in the house and have delivered it into the hand of the workmen who have the oversight of the house of the Lord. Moreover, Shaphan the scribe told the king, saying, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read it in the presence of the king. Then the king heard the words of the book of the law. He tore his clothes. Then the king commanded Hilkiah the priest, Hakin uh, the son of Shaphan, all those guys, um, go inquire of the Lord for me and the people and all Judah concerning the words of this book that, we, that has been found, for great is the wrath of the Lord that burns against us, because our fathers have not listened to the words of this book to do according to all that is written uh, concerning us. And then 23, 21 through 23. Then the king commanded all the people, saying, Celebrate the Passover to the Lord your God as it is written in this book of the covenant. For surely such a Passover had not been celebrated from the days of the judges who judged Israel, nor in all the days of the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah. But in the 18th year of King Josiah, this Passover was observed to the Lord in Jerusalem. They were not. It's very clear what was read they were, the king was to not just read the law, he was supposed to write down his own copy and read it regularly. They weren't doing that. And so they lost track of where they were supposed to be with the Lord. The kings were not doing what they were supposed to do because they weren't paying attention. They weren't making sure that they were doing what the Lord was asking of them. Um, 
And so Solomon is kind of doing the best that he can with what he has. He, he has what David had told him, but it wasn't enough. He needed the law. He needed to know what God really expected of him. And he wasn't really, other than just whatever was being passed down, God said, write it down, read it, keep track, be sure you don't lose track of this. And they'd done that. And so we see it's not until we're almost all the way through 2 Kings. Josiah is the last good king, and Israel is about to go into captivity before they finally go, oh, my goodness. And, and God's gracious with Josiah because he does, um, he turns his heart to the Lord. He's, his heart is the Lord's, you can really see. And, and so he's like, we need to do all these things that are in the law. Um, and God's going, it's too late for Israel, you know. Um, and so they go into captivity. But again, what I'm hoping to do, and I'm trying to wrap this up right, right quick, is that we see that, well, let me, let me say this. Um, as far as kings go in the Old Testament, Solomon wasn't bad. Whether we'd say he was good or bad, though, I don't know. But he doesn't stack up against Jesus. When it comes to the perfect king, Jesus is the only one. Solomon's a sinner, just like us. Would we have done any better? I wouldn't have. Would I have even known to ask for wisdom? Doubt it. So we will be studying through Ecclesiastes, which Solomon wrote. But my intention as we study is to constantly going back to Jesus to be reminded of what is greater than Solomon. Because, and that was one of the verses I didn't get to, but in Luke, uh, no, in Matthew 12, 42, um, Jesus, when he's talking about woe, um, you know, he's talking about the, the let me just read it because I'm going to butcher it. Matthew 12, 42. The queen of the south will rise up with this generation at the judgment and will condemn it because she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. Jesus is greater than Solomon, without question. Jesus himself said it. God himself said it. Seems that often when we read through the Old Testament, we're looking for a hero. Oftentimes we're looking for somebody that we, you know, God, why couldn't you? Is this the best you could do? You know, I'm looking for somebody that can be a hero that can, that I can look up to, that I can emulate, that I can that I can be like this guy. And we get frustrated, as we should. We. Right. We do. We're very forgetful. Um, so we're not supposed to model our lives after anyone, not even Jesus, because if we try, we'll only get frustrated. We're not supposed to copy anyone. We're to come to Jesus empty, knowing that we have nothing to offer and let him fill us. No one else and no other system can do that. Only he can. If we try to add Jesus to our life to fill it up, it won't work. We have to empty ourselves. We have to die in order for him to fill us up, for him to give us new and true life. And so that's what I'm hoping as we study through this that we keep coming back around to. So pray for me, I ask, that I would remember 
to keep doing that. Y'all remind me that we need to keep, because we, we are, we're forgetful people. We forget these things and we, we get sidetracked. We get stuck on peripheral things when Jesus is the only hope. He is our only hope. So, Jay, would you pray for us?